Okay, oh, now no. we're uh yeah, we're good. We're good. <laughs> okay, here we go. Uh yeah. You are among friends, Joe. Now I'm gonna get the giggles. Okay. Okay, uh, here I'll throw in the opening theme and then we can okay. do it properly. Hey Mark. Joe. Do you have to a rough start? Yeah, I was going to say, do you know who the god of irony is? I just looked it up. <laughs> yeah. It's Momus. Yeah. Momus, the god of irony, who's a f- figure of fun now, but was serious when he was first written about Aesop's fables. I guess we should start with an apology then for anyone who tried to <laughs> tune into the uh, to the live event. Uh, it, uh, despite... Um, uh, Hey, I was a tech like 20 years ago, okay? <laughs> and this is also a different technology, too. So it's not radio technology. It's, you know, internet That's technology. Right. Just newfangled media. Yeah. <laughs> Man- it's ma- managers thinking they know how tech stuff works. Right, right. Oh, oh, snap. snap. Ouch. Shots fired. I, okay, we have to introduce everybody. So yes. now, it's, that's, that, that's that'll be the first of- thing you cut. Right. That's the voice of Greg DeClute. <laughs> yeah, also Greg with us is Trish Thornton, uh, two colleagues from the CDC when Joe was working there. Uh, they both started, they all three started in the 80s. Right? Yes. Yeah. And the glorious uh, 80s. two of my favorite colleagues, as I've, as I said the first time we tried this, um, I have many favorite <laughs> colleagues, but these are special favorite colleagues. And they're here to help you celebrate the launch of your book, uh, Adventures in the Radio Trade. Yes. Yeah. And thanks for uh, agreeing to be a part of this. No problem. Okay. So, yeah. yeah I want to jump right in, guys. I we've, we'll, we'll get to your backgrounds and all the fun stuff you did together with Joe in a minute. But I have a question for you, which has been bothering me. Can one of you describe to me the living conditions in Stalag CBC? Uh, well, there's first the um, the radio building where we all started on Jarvis Street, which is the old um, Havergal College. And yeah, I think you used to be able to find some bloomers in there, like the old girls' school, <laughs> like some of their old nasty bloomers there. And I know there was the pool in the basement, but mostly I remember mice. <laughs> That's what I heard too. I had friends. I had friends that worked there, and they were freaked out by the mice everywhere. Yeah, oh, there was one epic time. When I on the fifth floor, because I'm trying to think if that's where Sunday morning was. I don't know. Anyway, one of those floors, and I remember we were all sitting there. It was late at night because we're cutting documentaries and whatnot. And this mouse just went by, and I I don't know who. Like it wasn't Michael Finley. Actually, it was Michael Finley, the the dearly departed Michael Finley. He just grabbed. Um, you know, remember remember what telephone books were? You know, they were really thick yep. and. He just grabbed a telephone book and dropped it on the mice, on the mouse, and and that was that. So, so that's one of, that's one of my memories. You know, my memory of the radio building is not really about the mice or the, the it, it's or the building. It's the fact that it was so. It was the the community that was there. It was so much fun to work there. It was. We had. When I started, there were eighty eight technical people just in radio, and we all we had this lounge in the middle. And it was just, it was great. It was like being in high school again. There was all kinds of crazy nonsense going on. Larry Moray playing pranks on people. There were card games and, and people watching TV. And it was always somewhere to go for help. And it was like a and whole. Smoking. And they yes. were smoking. Yeah. It was just <laughs> like a whole. You, you should qualify that. 
Yeah. <laughs> it was like a whole gang of people all with, you know, similar interests because we all we all were, you know, radio technical people and it was just it was one some of the best times. It, were, it was such a great place to be for the for the the culture of it. So that's that's what Joe's book is really about, right? It's it's about the fun of working in, at the CBC during a specific time and place. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Double plug there for you, Joe. <laughs> Way to go. Oh, you saw what I did there. Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I, I think maybe, Joe, you should describe what the book's about so that uh, listeners can maybe become readers. Sure. Yeah. It's um, – well, my, my, my editor, uh, Arlene Ralph, uh, described it as a prose ode to the CBC. And I, I thought that was uh, – I really like the way she put that because I think that's what it basically is. It's, um, it's, you know, it's not, uh, uh, you know, it's warts and all basically, but mm-hmm. it's describing working at the CBC from my perspective as a, as a technician from a certain time period from 1988 till about 2007. And, um, but it's not really, I realized as I was writing it, it's not really about me. Uh, it's really about the CBC. It's, uh, it's, it's almost, if the CBC, itself could write a memoir this would be it yeah that was my that was my take on the memoir i, I really enjoyed it uh and i'd recommend that everyone who if everyone's listening to the podcast likes the podcast they'll like the book because it's joe's sense of humor throughout the book and it's not really about you yeah it's it's about it's about the cbc um i know uh trish is just reconnecting now but uh, mm-hmm. i know she grew up with the cbc but in my yeah. family i'm a freak because i listen to the cbc and my family looks at me like why do you listen to the CBC? He's like, come on, guys, it's awesome. How can you not like it? And for me, that's what I loved about the book, is it kind of reminded me of all of those programs that I love to, to listen to. And I'm really excited to talk to you guys because you worked on those programs. Like, So well, tell yeah. me what it was like to work on Morningside, for example, with Peter Zosky. Oh, that was um, – that in a way – and and I I won't lie about that. That was kind of a dream come true. Like I said, I I, as you mentioned, I I grew up listening to it. My parents we moved a lot, so no matter where we went in Canada, we could always get the same shows. And that would that really that helped my mom who was always moving and me who was moving. At least we had something familiar everywhere we went. And I used to be like, like I I I remember being a little kid and listening to this country in the morning and thinking, you know. What is this show all about? And and you know, I'm I'm learning about Canada. I'm I'm hearing crazy stories. I'm I'm learning about new music, um, and there was just something. I I always just thought if I get to CBC, if I get to work at CBC, what show would I want to work on? And it would be This Country in the Morning, which was the the precursor to Morningside. And actually, mm-hmm. Morningside was first started by Don Heron who um, took over that morning slot from Peter Zosky when this country in the morning left. And then Peter came back to it. Um, and and a crazy thing is my, my dad grew up in Galt, Ontario, and Peter Zosky was, they, they knew each other a little bit when they were oh. kids. So, oh, really? So there was that connection as well. Uh, so just, that's how you got that gig. Not, not <laughs> at all. He does not, re- he does not remember. No, he does not remember my dad at all. And that was Peter Zosky. He used to be Peter Brown, actually. That was his name then. Anyway, um, so I just thought if I could, I mean, I'm, I'm musical and whatnot, but I didn't have the technical. I don't, 
you know, there were, I worked with so many people and Greg, you're one of them that just really had the ear for all the music stuff. And I, I thought I could do the music, but really what I was, I was a bit of a, I, I went to journalism school. So I'm, you know, a bit of a, more of a, a current affairs wonk and just the thought, okay, if I could work on Morningside, I, I know, you know, I can, I can retire after that because that's, I've, I've hit, I've hit my goal. And, and, and it happened. Uh, working with him, it was funny because he's a grumpy guy. He's a bit of a grumpy uh-huh. guy. A lot of people hmm. don't like him. I had a great connection with him. And I don't know if it's because I could, I, you know, we, we talked about sports. Like none, none of the people at, at Morningside knew much about hockey and baseball and stuff. And, and, uh, so before the show would start, we'd be talking about, you know, whether it's the, the NHL strike or, you know, the Leafs, are they ever going to be good? Um, and, and I just told it like it is. I never, I never gave him, I never gave him, oh, oh it's Peter Zosky. Oh, it's Peter Zosky. Mm-hmm. I just treated him like normal. And I think he liked that because I don't think he liked being, it's like, oh my God, it's Peter Zossi. And sadly, um, I, a lot of people just think he's grumpy because of that. But my God, he was getting up at three in the morning, you know, to come into work. Hmm. So you got to get grumpy. The yeah. I would be more than grumpy. But, but was, I make it clear was, in the book that I would be grumpy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, 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 the thing, and, and it's true. Like, Joe, you, I remember when I was leaving, I, I remember I asked you, like, why do you want to do Morningside? And you, you said you weren't ready yet. As I recall, I was intimidated by Morningside. Yeah. I mean, I, I had done it, I think, uh, three times and I'd done the, the summer version, Summerside. But yeah. I was, uh, because I, I was kind of like, like you, Trish. Like I, I never, like I looked at Greg as the true technician, the true yeah. engineer. And it wasn't until I started working in the drama department that I started to believe in that part of myself. Well, it's funny because I've been reading your book and when you talked about how, you know, and, and I'm sorry, I don't mean this for you, Joe and me, but, but the real technicians, like they, they read the manuals and they knew all about the mics and they yeah. knew this and oh, let's put and the mic there. And they could there, do a Facebook your- live properly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the art police are on their way. Uh, <laughs> so, and, 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 I, and I was the same as you. Like I just, you know, it's like let's just get the show on the air, and and I'll figure stuff out afterwards. So yeah. I want to I want to hear from Greg a little bit. So I'll ask you about my one of my other favorite shows, The Vinyl Cafe, because I know you were really involved with that, and your background is in recording music. So that must have been <laughs> for you a wonderful job. Yeah. Um, let me just say something about what Joe and Trish just said, though. Um, <clears throat> yeah, of course. Whole idea yeah. Of- that, that whole idea of, um, you know, the real technician, I understand what you're saying. Like, I did spend a lot of time, a lot of my own time learning all that kind of stuff. But um, I also had a real uh, um, respect for the the people that did the kind of things that you did. I did not ever want to do Morningside or Sunday Morning or those kind of those kind of live morning shows that were like, you're going from a three-way to a two-way and then back to a couple of clips and then back to some other thing. And that was not my thing. Like, I get that you're, you know, you're, you're saying that the thing that I did was not your thing, but I, 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 Morningside would not have been my thing. I think that would have been a, a, a disaster to put me into that kind of thing. And I always had respect for people like you who would, could do those kinds of shows. 
Because I, I know how hard that was, and that's why I did not want to do it. <laughs> well, they're both complicated in, in different ways, right? Yeah, they're different skill sets. Yeah. yeah. Oh, they were in, intimidating as hell. Like the first yeah. time mm, that you yeah, were yeah. asked to do them. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. Well, and it's also live. Their, flagship, their flagship shows, right? Yeah. Like everyone's it's, listening to those shows, whoever yeah. is yeah. listening to the CBC. Not my family, yeah. obviously. Yeah. There was not it's, one morning. There was not one morning where just before it was like eight oh one or eight oh 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 one that my stomach didn't flip when I pressed the starting theme song. <laughs> not one morning yeah. that my my stomach didn't flip. Yeah, the thing, the thing with those shows, they were high profile. They were super busy. You were often doing three or four things at the same time, and if you made a mistake. Everybody in the country knew. Well, not in the oh, country, because yeah. you could remake it. But if you made a mistake, it was a big deal. And it was really, really hard not to make a mistake when you're doing – you had that many uh, balls in the air. Oh, yeah. 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 So, uh, so back to that point about not everyone heard it. So my understanding is the CBC has is, got a really strong listenership in Atlantic Canada – which is who hears all the mistakes, they, they right? have a, Yeah, they have a good sense of humor. So is there a connection <laughs> there that they like that? <laughs> well, you know what? You know, the East Coasters, you know, how many F-bombs and S-bombs were dropped in the first hour? And it's like, oh, yeah. we got we to fix it. We got to fix it. But, you know, Atlantic Canada heard all the, heard all the warts. Heard all, and, and I think they probably had a better experience well, than the rest of if it. Were, if it were me, I'd rather hear the first version than hear the, the yeah. first version mm-hmm. number five that goes to Vancouver. Because by that yeah. time, it's all it's been done to death. There's no life in it at all. It's just like, yeah. oh, yeah, we're going to read the same yeah. stories we read three t- four times already. I'd rather hear the one, the spontaneous one. Yeah. That's exactly right. That's why we started with a different question. <laughs> the second yeah. time around, it's like it's not going to be as fun. Yeah, second well, time it was around. always it was always funny when uh, like there was one. Am I allowed to swear here a little? Yeah, bit? Yeah, of course. Just, yeah, okay. yeah. Like, God damn please, it. We encourage. We encourage. Okay. Okay. There, there was one. What uh-huh. was her name? She was this. She, like she this she's a linguist, and she was on the show, and and she said the word shit. And and Peter's like, oh my god! And Patsy Peelman, the, the executive producer, came running. Oh my god, remake! And there, the, Margaret Visser—that was the name, Margaret Visser. She said, "Oh, Peter, shit is a good Anglo-Saxon word." <laughs> <laughs> that's <laughs> something I'll never forget. <clears throat> that's that's tremendous. Ah, uh, that's a live radio, eh? <laughs> yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, okay, so switching gears back to Joe here because this is supposed to be about Joe, or at least his book. But, um, I, but I never called? did answer. I never oh, did no, answer sorry, your yeah, question. I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah, I, yeah. You never answered my that goddamn I question. Yeah. Um, <laughs> question. Yeah. What are you hiding, Greg? Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I didn't want to say anything bad about the vinyl cafe. Um, no, I have to say, um, other than the the one show that Joe and I did together, the vinyl cafe was the thing that was the highlight of my career. I feel. Um, mm. I feel like we did our, that was the best work that I did in that, in that kind of a vein. It was a great show. It was, it was the people to, to work with the people were great. The audience loved it. It just was, it, it just was the perfect place for me. And, I, and I think the, the group just worked so well together. It was just, it, it was the pinnacle of, of my career at the CBC, I think. And I, I luckily I got to do it for a long, long time. <laughs> and, and you traveled with the show, right? Yeah. So, um, they would, the way it would work is we'd do three, 
each month, obviously, there's four shows, right? It was on once a week. So we do three studio shows, and then there was a live show. And so, so the shows would tour. Sometimes it would be a long tour, like the Christmas tour would have 26, 28 dates. And we would record one, you know, sort of Was that called the through. Butch Tour? <laughs> the, the Butch Tour? Yeah, for the turkey. Wasn't that the turkey's name? Oh, butch? yeah, yeah, the, yeah, 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 true. Um, so we, um, so the, the, partway through the tour, the show would get recorded. Once it was like, it was, it was all worked in, it was all, it was all set, it was all like tweaked, but not to the point where it got mm-hmm. stale. And so, uh, I wouldn't tour with them the entire time, but I'd meet up with them a lot of times partway through the tour. And, uh, it was great because we'd have, we, the three of us, me, Jess, and Stuart would have a great time in the studio shows. And then we were on the, when we were on the road, it was even more fun. And it was just working at a really high level, working really hard, but really loving what you're doing and really doing a great show. And, and it was great that the audience really, really liked it too. So it just, it had everything for me. That's, that's great. Yeah. You I were like, the perfect guy, Greg. Yeah. Yeah. I can't that. believe you were. Cause it, yeah. Cause there's a lot of music. I, we should probably explain this for people who've never heard the vinyl cafe. Uh, cause if this, are there archived versions they can hear on the CBC? Yeah, you can get website? it on, yeah, yeah, on CBC so, podcasts. Yeah, yeah you can yeah, podcast. So, so they check these, check them out because they really are wonderful. Stuart McLean was the host, and he's he, he won the Leacock Award. I don't know more times than I'll ever even three, put a book together to send it in. Okay, maybe. But anyway, <laughs> uh, he was a wonderful host. He, was, he had sort of like our Garrison Keeler in Canada. Uh, if for American listeners, they would that maybe will connect for them. Um, it was a wonderful show, and I, I really loved it. It yeah, was the it kind was... of radio that if you were in your car listening to it, you couldn't get out of your car until yeah, it was yeah, done. Yeah, yeah. 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 A, lot of people, a lot of people said that, yeah. He would tell these stories, these David Morley stories. He had this fictional world, and he would tell these David Morley stories about you know this, this, the situations that Dave would get himself into, these comical situations. But he had the power to, do, to be really funny, but also be very, like, really pull at your heartstrings at the same time. Like, he, mm-hmm. he could do both, and he was really good at both. And I always say, um, he had a, he, he was one of those rare people where he was a very, very good writing. And as you say, he won the Stephen Leacock Award three times for his writing, but he was also a great performer. You get people who are good writers or good mm-hmm. performers, but you don't often get somebody who's both. And he was really, really good at both. And that's he true. started at Morningside too, right? Yes. Yeah. Well, that, that, he, yeah, he, that's where he sort of gained popularity. That wasn't the yeah. first thing, but yeah, I feel that's like where he gained popularity. But I mean, he got popular. I feel like Trish yeah. trying to get was, in there. Like the first yeah. Vinyl Cafe started, it was like a, a half hour of the summer replacement show. And it was mm-hmm. just a half hour. And it was David Amer, one of the producer, the, one of the music producers at, at Morningside. He and, 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 Stuart and of course Stuart used to do do those little uh, talk tapes with Peter that were just mm-hmm. you know they're golden yeah. they're golden so yeah, it they're... just made so much sense for him to to peel off and and do that and my you know to this day you know I haven't worked at CBC Radio for years and to this day I, I would say you know five out of eight people that I know they are, oh did you work with Stuart McLean did you do Vinyl Cafe it's like my really? favorite show. <laughs> Oh yeah, like even even now, people are saying, "Where can I get it? Why don't Why don't they just play the reruns and whatnot?" So yeah, it, it, it was it was a real treasure. Okay, it's funny so, too because half an hour of our summer of our summer morning side too. <laughs> and it's funny so, too I mean, because 
I worked with um, I worked with David, Dave Amer and Stuart on it in the very early days before Jess came, and I know that they did the pilot, and the CBC was like, yeah, 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 it's great, and then they sat it on a shelf for five years before yeah, they I actually put it. Yeah, I met David Amer. Yep. When I, my, I worked at the CBC for like twenty seconds, and uh, he, I don't, I don't know why he was there, but he was at the at the the uh, the station at Parliament Street. Where I did my internship, and then I, you know, did some relief there as a associate producer, and yeah, just there was this guy up in the in the record archive we had there. Yeah. I was sent up to get comedy albums, which I got in trouble for. But anyway, um, <laughs> and I met this guy, David Avery. He had all these really cool records he was collecting. I'm like, what are you what are you doing? He said, Well, it's for this show called uh, Vinyl Cafe, yeah. and we had this kind of cool idea about a record shop. And I'm like, that sounds really nice. <laughs> Yeah. So that would have been ninety two. Yes. When, when did exactly. the show start? That, yep. The show started. I... Go ahead, Trish. Yeah, no, like it was ninety two, ninety three when, when we would do the summer the summer version so of the So that's probably what it was then. Yeah, he was yeah. getting ready for that first okay, cool. So Joe, um I feel like you haven't said much. <laughs> uh is there I said a show it all in the book. Yeah, I know, but you know, it's a podcast, it's a different medium. So yeah. um is there a show that you would want to talk about in terms of like really blew your mind or was a great experience or inspiring to work on or? Uh, well, I mean, uh, I enjoyed working on all of them. Uh, like I was a huge fan of quirks and quirks actually, you know, before I started working yeah. for the CBC and when I was in Ryerson, I, uh, I needed to interview somebody for a project and, and I thought, you know what, I'm going to go for the gusto and I'm going to try to, Ring up uh, Jay Ingram, who was the original, or, yeah. or not the original. I think David oh, Suzuki started. started. He was, yeah, yeah. yeah. But the one that I knew was Jay Ingram. So I phoned the CBC and and uh, and I said, yeah, I'd like to get a hold of Jay Ingram. And uh, and I, I wound up talking to him, like, <laughs> and I couldn't believe it. It was like so. He was so accessible, and immediately agreed to the interview. And I interviewed him for like. 45 minutes and uh i think i got a reasonably good mark on the on the the project and then fast forward a couple of years and i'm working for the cbc and and working with this guy recording you know two ways and interviews and and whatnot and uh and then just just for fun when he left quirks and quirks to be replaced by bob mcdonald i had the cassette (laughs) of our interview (laughs) and i gave it to him and I'm sure he's like, yeah, I'm never going to listen to this. But <laughs> <laughs> and he threw it straight in the garbage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I don't know. I just I don't I don't know why I thought it was important to give it to him. I was probably 25 or something, and I don't know. But yeah. Anyway, so that was that was a really cool experience for me working for Quirks and Quirk. Um. Okay. So I guess I'm the guy who so says the next question. Uh. Okay. So I did have a question that I started asking Greg, and then uh, he rudely interrupted me. Because <laughs> That's what I do. The earlier answer. <laughs> uh, no, no, I'm joking. So, okay, who start? Who coined the phrase "Wing Commander Joe"? I don't know Does, the answer to that. Do you know the answer to that? No. Do, do you remember that nickname? Because I was no. like reading, I was reading Joe's book. I'm like, he's holding out on me. He had a nickname that he didn't share. Wing Commander Joe. So apparently, he was started be calling, being called Wing Commander Joe. I guess Joe, you'll have to explain that story. <laughs> Well, okay, so in an earlier podcast, one of the questions, Mark always likes to start a podcast by asking me a question, and one of them was, you know, what did you ever have any nicknames? And right. so I, I threw some out, and I didn't mention Wing Commander Joe, which is a nickname that I mentioned in the book, 
that I had done. Remember what Greg remembers this. I spent forever mm-hmm. trying to get the science fiction show by the name of Faster Than Light off the ground. Oh, yes. Yeah. I, I do remember that. Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> we only ever got one episode on the air, but we made several pilots. And then somebody at one point said, man, you got so many pilots underneath there that we should start calling a wing commander. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like something that Tim would say. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's a good I, joke. I don't know who said it, but yeah, somebody definitely did. I thought maybe it was you, Greg, but. No, it wasn't me. That's a, are you kidding? That's a science fiction joke. I wouldn't make this science fiction joke. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah maybe, maybe it was, uh, Tim Lormer. And, uh, and with yeah. that, we should, you know, give a, a, a nod to our, to, to poor Tim, who we lost this summer yes. at the age of yes, 65. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, guys. That's, that's, yeah. That's yeah. Right. Um, uh, maybe we'll switch gears there. So in terms of like, you're all, you spent your time basically being radio engineers. Is that, is that the right sort of term or do you prefer sound engineer, tech, technician? Like, yeah, that, I guess that's <laughs> a question a that each one would in the book. Yeah. 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 Like we started as technicians. Like that's what we're called. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Zosky used to give me a credit as recording engineer. Right. That's he just used to call me that, but I was always right. a technician. I was never I was never a group six. I never got that group six. Even though I yeah. was live three hours a day. That's all <laughs> you I'm never say. got the group six? But are nope. you bitter? <laughs> no, no, you know what? If if I had got it I probably would have stayed longer. Um mm-hmm. but that it didn't look like it was happening. So but it was good. I had a I had a great career, ten year career there. Yeah, that's pretty good. I mean, ten years anywhere. It's it's. Some people argue ten years is time to move on. Yeah, at least well, do in, a different in job. In the new world, yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, you did you did start out as technicians, which I always thought was weird because to me, technician is the guy like under the hood of your car who like fixes yeah. it, yeah. which is not yeah. what it was. Yeah, like maintenance but, technician. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And well, so, except they're um, not even called technicians; they're called technologists at the yeah, CDC. Yeah. So I was. Um, and I'm going to sheepishly say I was a recording engineer. Um, and it really only was that it was just a different type of work, uh, which really put, gave you that title. It was more like the music recording kind of thing was more <clears throat> like a recording engineer position. Well, and the actual official names that they gave us were, were often misleading or inaccurate. Because for many years while we were recording engineers, we were actually called technician associate producers. Yes, that's true, which was absolutely wrong at the time, but Yeah. So yeah. this is the heartbreak of the C B C which I've heard yeah. people talk about it. It's it's you know, it's a large human institution, so you know, organization. There's always gonna be problems where large well, people thing. Yeah, you know together, what right? and I should probably take that opportunity to you know, to mention that to me the book is a very it's pro C B C because I'm a huge C B C fan mm-hmm. and I loved working there and uh you know, and, 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 and feel like I had a you know, a really good career and uh but as i think i mentioned earlier you know i don't leave out some of the warts because it is a it's a, like you said it's a human institution it's not 100 percent perfect there's always things that could be improved upon like calling yeah. people what they actually do what they the do right and <laughs> yeah. respecting the work they do yeah, yeah. okay so and, i'm gonna switch also, gears it's a very it's a creative place right so there are egos mm-hmm. and there are divas and there's insecurity and there's you know, all of that stuff going on on uh, in in every role, like, you know, from from copy clerks to managers, you know, it's like it, it's, you know, we all we all were 
behind the same creative force, but from different different angles. But and at the, at the very- same time, yeah. Sorry, Greg. I'll just say very quickly that. Uh, but at the same yeah. time, I, I've never, I think, been spent so much time with a, a, such a group of like-minded people. You know, like I, yeah. I mean, I stayed there thirty-five years, and it's because I mostly because I love the people. Well, I, I was going to say something similar to that, which is like um, what Trish was talking about about the people is that everybody that was there was there because they loved it. Uh, it, it yeah. you didn't go there to get rich. You didn't go there to get famous. You went there because you loved to do the work and you you really wanted to be there and you really respected the institution and you wanted everything that you did to be of that level that deserved to, you know, you wanted to be of the quality that that, that the CBC expected. And so that also adds an element of, yeah. another element of like when, when um, Trish was talking about ego and stuff, that that love of it too is uh, adds a whole different dynamic. Yeah, it cuts both ways. I mean, yeah, it, it's mm-hmm. hard. You can't you can't love something and care about it a lot, and then not sometimes have an edge to you when you're yeah. Yeah. Well, producing. It, I right? found I found uh, as Joe well knows, I got got put got put on a show and immediately started, you know, having a problem with the other person who was sort of the lead on the show until I came to realize, and we butted heads for a while until I came to realize. The reason that we're butting heads is we both want this thing to be as good as possible. And once I realized mm-hmm. that, then it, it, it stopped. But it, that sometimes does happen. Like, pe- everybody just loved being there so much, it added this other dynamic. And sometimes that clash is a, is a positive thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's a creative clash, not, not a destructive yeah. one. Yeah. yeah, and it was at that time, too. I just didn't recognize it at, at, the, at yeah, first. Yeah, that's... <laughs> um, I think... One of the things that I, you know, our listeners that don't, you know, listen to the CBC might want, hopefully they're going to check out the CBC as well as Joe's book after this, because I really do think that it's, it's wonderful. I've listened to a lot of BBC um, and I don't know, I, maybe I'm just being a jingoist here, but I kind of prefer the CBC to the BBC, but maybe it's because I don't like cricket. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Because when I listened to the BBC, it was like, okay, it's the top of the hour. Here's some cricket coming at me. Because <laughs> 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 apparently there's cricket all the time, every, all year. I don't it's understand how that happens. Another test match, whatever well, that all, means. And it yeah, also exactly. does take for, it does take forever too. So they got a lot to talk about. So yeah, yeah I mean, the, it's one match they're recording on the, the whole week. I mean, <laughs> I, I had some uh, titles that you maybe might want to use, Joe, and maybe you guys could just explain what some of these terms mean to people. Because I just, some of the terms, see, one of the things that I found really interesting about the book was just some of the concepts were interesting to me because there's, there's like a mathematics and, and a poetry to doing audio that exists in film. And I think people understand it in film, but I don't know that they understand it in audio as much. And so that's one of the things I really liked about the book was you kind of got into those. I thought the term threshold shift was a great title. And I might use it in another book, but <laughs> can someone explain what that means? Hmm. Nope. <laughs> that's, oh, that's, sorry, Trish. I'm I, sorry. Think, I wasn't trying to put... Joe, you've written the book, so you have to answer, but yeah. uh, maybe Greg can answer. Well, I, I think that's a that's a Joe term. I can't answer that because I don't really... If you, I know I, there's a couple of things in the book where Joe um, has 
terms for things and I that are yeah. slightly different. So I'm not 100% sure what he meant by that. But if he reminds okay, me, so Joe, you it. have to explain it because I literally <laughs> like I love this idea because there's like embedded in this threshold shift is like this idea that actually is kind of a universal idea, but maybe. Maybe well, I'm just first, imagining let me it explain again. that uh, I just made up everything in the book. It's like, oh, okay. no, no, no. <laughs> so now, all right. So yeah. I don't feel no, like no, an idiot no, now. No, <laughs> <laughs> no it, it's really a thing. It's um, and in the context of the book and how I was talking about it, it's um, it's a threshold sh- shift with your ears where you you there's like ear fatigue, and yeah. uh, so when you're working on uh, on, on a show, uh, you know, editing it, mixing it, whatever, your ears. Um, register it at a certain level at the beginning, but at the end, with ear fatigue, there's a, a, a threshold shift where, you know, if you're not careful, you're turning things up and then you're having difficulty with the levels. And the example that I use to illustrate that is if you're driving in your car and, uh, and as you increase the speed of the car, you're turning up the volume of the radio, you know, to hear the radio or the music or whatever. And then you get out of the car at the grocery store. And then go do your, your groceries, get back in the car, turn on the, the car, and the music is blasting, and you can't believe how loud it is, because, and you've been a victim <laughs> what of- What idiot broke into my car and turned up the sound? <laughs> yeah, but you've been <laughs> gradually turning it up to accommodate, you yeah. know, and that's, that's what I meant by threshold shift. And I think that's kind of a universal, I mean, maybe it's not universal, but in terms of writing, that's totally true, because if you're working on a text and you've been working on it for a long time- and it's almost impossible to see the mistakes in it after a while because you're just so used to it. And even if, even if it's wrong, you can't see that it's wrong because your brain is filling in the pieces that are maybe missing or editing out the pieces that are wrong. And it's exactly like that. I'm sure there's other fields where that happens. I just, I just love that term. I thought that was really cool. Well, anyway, I'm glad. So, uh, <laughs> okay. So uh, maybe this is one that Trish, you can tell me what it is. Reference tone. I guess that's the, is that the tone that we send to master control to line up our board? Like this is yeah. old fashioned. This is like a VU meter. I know now everything. I don't even know if they use VU meters anymore. I, but, I have but, no idea. This is all magic to me. Yeah. <laughs> well, well the thing is, you, first of all, the main thing is just to make sure you know that in 10 minutes you're going to go on air. So, or you're going to record something or something, but it's mostly for live stuff. I think I know you put tone on the top of a tape. I think that was going to go out, but, but it was like you would send a tone and make sure that what's going out of your board is exactly what's going out to the world. And because you never know, there are sometimes, I mean, everybody used every board, you know, yes, I did Morningside. And I was in one studio, but then the rest of the day, like I might be somewhere else and other people would come in and use the morning side board and whatnot. So there was just always, you just had to, it, it, it's, it's setting a standard. It's like, okay, we're ready to go. And, 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 you know, there, there had been times when you send tone and they're like, I'm not getting it because someone with a patch cord has overpatched because they wanted to do a dub or something. And you're getting nothing out of your board. And if you didn't line up with that tone to make sure your board is in in sync with the rest of the <laughs> the rest of the boards um right. like nothing nothing goes to air so yeah so, there's nothing happening and, and you'd also get yelled at by ron minhinet if you if you didn't call <laughs> him. Uh, yes. well i'm ron sure you get yelled at by the producer too <laughs> saying, yes. yeah, the, producer didn't, the producer didn't care about that it was this is this was a technical thing actually but oh but they, but would, they, would, they would care they if the show wasn't on the air 
they would worry if you yeah. hadn't, and then the show didn't go to air, of course. But yeah, um, yeah. but but yeah, that this was really to uh, to show your 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 fellow brothers and, and sisters in Master Control that you're on the ball and you're ready to go. So and it's funny you mentioned uh, Ron Minhenan because oh, uh, I originally had him in a draft of the book as one of the guys working in Master Control, but I realized I didn't know how to spell his last name, and I couldn't <laughs> find it anywhere. So really, I had to take him out. Yeah, there was there was another there was another function for uh, tone too, which was because mm-hmm. um, as Trish mentioned, you would put tone at the top of a tape, and what that yeah, was yeah. often for was for aligning playback. So when you recorded your tape, you would send it to master, and they'd put the tape up, and they wouldn't. There was an output level on the tape machine, and so in order to set that right, it's the same level that you were using when you recorded it. They would line. They would take listen to the tone. They would line it up so the output was the same as what your output was, so that the tape would basically come come back at the same level. Yeah, it gives you an even number that or whatever. Yeah, the, it the just sets the standards that, so that, everything's that the you same. You both know what it is, so you know yeah. exactly where you are. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so you, I think someone has to explain master control because it sounds <laughs> very science fictional and Joe, weird. <laughs> Joe's probably the best one. Did you ever work in master, cool. Trish? I I never worked in oh, master, I so I can't explain it. You know what? I, I did breaks and it, I, I just prayed to, I found religion in master control. <laughs> I prayed, nothing I, would happen because I had no idea what to do. I could explain <laughs> what it does, but I couldn't, I, I never worked there. So yeah. I don't know the inner it's, workings. Well, I of, think what it does is enough for the audience. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it, uh, I mean, it was the central hub. It's, That's where programs, you would do the programs, you know, in back yeah. in the era that we're talking about. Uh, producers would deliver the the programs on tape, and then the people in in Master Control, Peter Chin, Ron Minhennet, Ron Grant, Jeanette Sipos, the rest of them, they would um, Kenny Lumsden, uh, they would put the tapes up and play them back from from Master Control, and there would be like a computerized schedule with a computer that dated back to the '60s, which amazed me, <laughs> and uh, and it basically switched between all the programs and shot them off through the country. To other on a yeah. cassette tape, from a cassette tape was where the program was on, right? Uh, well, it was quarter inch tape. No, no, no. Uh, I mean, like, like oh, it wasn't yeah. your little cassette. Like the yes. whole program. You're right. Was run yes. through a cassette tape. Yeah, and well, yeah. to be to be clear, the audio programs came from quarter inch tape, but the computer <laughs> yeah. was run by a cassette tape. <laughs> so basically, it's a guy with a Radio Shack uh, re- recording. <laughs> yeah, Tandy. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm joking. Uh, okay, that's that's great, guys. I have one more. I have one more, and I think this might be a Greg one. I'm just guessing because I also thought it was a cool term that might make uh-huh. a good title. Capsule, capsule distortion. Oh, capsule distortion. Yeah, capsule, ca- <clears throat> capsule distortion. Sorry. Yeah. That's um that's also a Joe phrase, but what he what he's talking about is <laughs> what does he mean? Um, yeah, yeah, it's it's basically just microphone distortion. So, um, you can have a microphone like we're all talking on microphones right now, and you you know we all set them up with level so that we know that uh, our level's not too loud and it's not distorting electronically. But what you can also do to a microphone is if you put it in front because the the microphone has a little diaphragm inside that, that vibrates when it hears sound, and it, and it converts uh-huh. that vibration in the air into into um, electricity. But if you put that microphone in front of an extremely loud source, it'll it'll move the diaphragm more than it physically can, 
And so it will create oh, distortion. Okay. Like physical distortion in the microphone. So it's yeah. it's meant to the the micro the the diaphragm is meant to move a certain amount of distance. And if and it, the the louder the thing is, the more it will move. But if you put it in front of something extremely loud, it will bottom out and you'll you'll distort <laughs> so yeah, you at put, the microphone. Yeah, you put Pavarotti in front of a nice yeah. microphone, he's gonna so basically you, destroy it with his voice. So you could have a really low level that should never distort, but you're still hearing distortion because the microphone itself right. is physically it, it, over it, it's overblown it's it's physically the the but the, the diaphragm can't do what it's it's trying to do and sometimes we would learn this the hard way because i i remember <laughs> I, we had uh, julie black in one day and uh, i used a 414 on her and she just uh her and her entourage just belted it out and i got what i call capsule distortion and it was you know embarrassing <laughs> yeah because the problem is the, the problem is when you get regular distortion and you're sitting at the console, you can just turn the input down. But when the microphone is distorting, there's nothing yeah. you can't control. You can't control it. You have to either use a, mi a different microphone or move it further away from the sound source. Yeah. Yeah, it's like when there's too much light in a digital image. There's nothing you can do about it. Yeah, there's nothing. It just, yeah. it just overloads it physically. Yeah. And I yeah. and I, I know this might be really wonky, but I think actually this is stuff that. Because podcasting has become pretty big, and I think this is stuff people should know about as, uh, you know, someone who's listening to audio. That's what, you know, uh, that's what's happening with podcasting. It's all audio. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So that leads me to my last question for you guys. What's the future of radio? Oi. Like, I mean <clears throat> actual terrestrial radio, too. Like, yeah. Uh, I don't know if it's ever going to disappear from cars. And I know that sounds really just kind of, oh, basic, it's going to be in cars. But And I know people have serious music and whatnot. I have heard rumors that AM radio might be going away. I don't I don't know. I mean, mm -hmm. we don't, CBC, I don't know anywhere across the country if it's on AM anymore. Joe, you might know more than I do. But um, Oh, I think there's still, yeah. I think like, you know, yeah. certain I, I, I talk radio I, is still AM. Yeah, oh, it's huge. And you know, yeah. the other thing that's going to, like sports, Sports talk is never going away because it's got to be live and it's got to be, you know, I mean, you can listen to a sports podcast, but it's, you know, you, you, you're not going to yeah. get a play by play and whatnot. Um, yeah. So radio, it's hard. I, I've been out of it for a while um, and I don't listen a lot anymore. I do a lot of listen to a lot of podcasting. So I mean, in in my opinion, one of the things like when I was at CBC right at the end was when podcasting was starting, and and I was, I remember telling my my boss Charlie and and whatnot, it's like you know we could we could be doing all of these things, just put them on podcast, put put old mm -hmm. um you know when when Zosky and 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 Stuart McLean used to do their little you know twenty minute things, like put those on podcast. It's just it's audio, it's audio. It doesn't matter, and and. and I think CBC was still at that point worried about, oh, well, at three, three in the afternoon, no one's going to listen to that. It's like, you know, then let people listen on demand. Mm -hmm. uh, I think they've come around to that a lot. Um, I still turn it on for the news. I think news is still, yep. has got the fresh stuff. News, mm -hmm. sports, anything that's happening, current affairs, um, and live music too, you know, for that matter. God, that's one thing I do miss on CBC radio is you know when i first started i was a roadie for a lot of the the senior techs and we do blue rodeo and whatnot and have live broadcasts 
I don't think it's gone um, because people still demand that stuff. Um, well, look how successful the Tragically Hip uh, final broadcast was. Exactly, exactly. The thing about radio, though, <clears throat> I don't know necessarily where it's going to go, but I think there's a bunch of there's a bunch of value there that I think is going to cause it to not go away at least. Like a, it's accessible, right? It's it's free, so everybody can yeah. everybody can access it. Um, you could also access it when you're on the go, on the on the go. So you can like like Trista's in your car, or if you're if you're walking, if you're on the bus, if you're wherever. It's not a visual medium, so you can do it. You can listen to it anywhere. You can also listen to it while you're doing anything. So you don't have. It's not like it's not like television where you have to sit down in front of it or whatever. You can be cooking, or you can be cutting the mm-hmm. grass, or you can be doing whatever and um, and listening to it. And I find that the thing that I like about it too is that it's a push medium, so the things get sent to you. Like podcasts don't work as well for me because you have to know what you want before you get it. The thing I like about radio is it sends you stuff you don't know you like until you hear mm. it. Um, and so you hear lots of music. Like I used to, I used to hear all this new music and all these new bands and all this kind of stuff on the radio. But now yeah. that I don't listen to the radio all that much because it's changed a lot, um, I find I don't hear all these new bands. I don't hear all this stuff that's going on because it's not being pushed to me. Podcast right. pro- to me the real problem with podcasts is you are you have to know what you're looking for before you find it. Yeah, and yeah. I'd rather I love the I love the idea of, of of them sending you something that that you'll probably like. Yeah, it's interesting because the power went out here in London, Ontario, a few days ago, and um, so I had my books, so I was fine. I had something to do. I thought I it's weird to have the house totally quiet, so I pulled out. I've got like one of those emergency radios. You can crank them up. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it does, you know, it does AM, FM bands, and also a shortwave. So I put it on FM, and exactly what you said, Greg. I just started. I just found a station, and they were playing like some kind of like fifties rock stuff mixed in with some eighties head metal. It was really weird, eclectic mix of stuff, but it kind of all worked together. And I was like, I'm like, I'm enjoying this. This is like, this is all music I've never heard before. And I would never have ever thought to listen to this, as you say. You know, right. I wouldn't have looked for it. Yeah, well, so you know, was, I like it. Yeah, if it was yeah, a podcast, you never would have found it. Yeah, no, I wouldn't have. No, and it's funny not. that you just reminded me of something. I remember what was Jeff Pavier's show called? Variety the uh, uh, prime time wasn't it? Prime, prime time. time yeah. Okay, so prime time was on at eight o'clock, right after as it happens, and they were finding. You know, they, CBC always wanted, sorry, my cat, you might hear my cat. CBC <laughs> always was looking for another, like, let's get the new generation. We need younger people, younger people. And, oh, you know, we got to get past all this Zosky and stuff. So Primetime, which was a, you know, pop culture, it was a great show. And Greg Diamond was on it and, and you know, Nancy Kelly and a lot of great people on it. And it was pop culture. It was fun. It was new. It wasn't Zosky. It wasn't Michael Enright and stuff. And it came on right after As It Happens. And what they found is they were getting a bunch of like, twenty you know, 20 to 30 year olds who were discovering As It Happens because hmm. they turned the radio on before and listen to the oh. end of that show and and then listen to Jeff Prevere and and Primetime. So so Greg you're right that's something you didn't know you wanted that but you heard a show and it's like oh I'm going to tune into you know like Tapestry who has a show like Tapestry which is 
which is, it's funny, it's deep, it's emotional, and, mm-hmm. you know, and it's just, oh, I, I, I don't even think it's about, you know, sometimes about religion. I would never go looking for it, but man, oh man, they've had some great shows. Yeah, and that's it's, it's something a good show. that you discover because you're listening to something else before or after. And that doesn't happen in podcasts. Yep. Yeah, it's funny. Even okay. my daughter, she listens to it in her car now. Um, I think mostly because she does a lot of traveling and I think she can kind of get it anywhere. And she's always coming, either texting me or calling me and saying, what is happening on this? And they're talking about, you know, like uh, people who think they're witches dancing in the forest in Ireland or whatever. And I think, yeah, but you're, you were interested enough that you remembered it and you're telling me about it now. Exactly. And she, she's always, yeah, she's always like, she loves the story, but she's like, why are they talking about this? But because they just, they just send you these crazy things and, you know, they, it just fills your brain with all this stuff that it wouldn't have been there if you hadn't been listening. Yeah, that's the, the thing I love about the CBC the most. It just, it just fills my brain with full of stuff that I wouldn't have known about otherwise. Yeah. yeah. Joe, anything else we should talk about? Uh, no, I think that's, uh, I think we're, we're approaching uh, time and, uh, I'm just, uh, deeply appreciative of, uh, of Greg and Trisha joining us to, uh, to oh, reminisce yeah. about, uh, the old days and, and for you, um, steering the ship. Well, thank you both for coming because it's been just wonderful talking to you and yeah. hearing about behind the behind the scenes. It's just so much for for me. I'm a fan, obviously. I mean, obviously, I'm a fan of the CBC, so I've really enjoyed talking to you both. No, Thanks so much. I'm happy to do it. Yeah, I'm, I am too. I, I, when I was reading the book, Joe, I it was really interesting because I th- I thought a couple of times. I could have written this book because our 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 <laughs> paths were so similar. Oh yeah. Um yeah. so many of the things you wrote about I was like I could have I could have written this book and it almost feels like a book about my time too. And I don't know Trish do you feel that same thing like uh, yeah. it's kind I of mean, the, it's kind of a little bit about you too. Oh absolutely. I mean the first part of it more cuz I you know I left up you know when Joe was still just a technician. When, when, yeah. when I was, so, That's right. So I didn't, I didn't get to see his meteoric soaring to the top of the of right. top of the technical right. CBC world. But um, no, and and it, it was actually you know just reading it, just you know, just made me remember what a wonderful time it was and the wonderful people mm-hmm. and and you know I got to fulfill some of my life goals there, no question. Well, as Joe says, I think it's 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 as much about the CBC as it is about him. It's more about the CBC than it is about him. It's kind of a love letter to the CBC. Yeah. But and I'm glad yeah. that you guys were there to uh, you know be a part of the journey because you were an important part of the journey, which is why you figure so prominently in the book. <laughs> yeah, so you got you both of your names are mentioned many times. So I was like, okay, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, I'm, yeah. Okay, I think we're done. Did yeah. we do it? I guess. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know what? I'll, here, yeah. I'll just uh, I'll make it clear. Oh wait, no, that's, that's the wrong one. I screwed up the. Uh, I screwed <laughs> up again. the problems again. <laughs> oh, here we go. Again, yeah, Joe hit. But I'm gonna. Yeah, Joe, I'm gonna. This is Joe gonna nails be... it technically once again. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be posting this uh, with all its words as well. So. Are you saying <laughs> okay. you you did Morningside with all these technical mistakes? You did Morningside. Yeah, uh, I was younger then. <laughs> yeah, I had more chops back then. Oh, that's funny. How do you think you got the gray hair? Yeah. All right, okay. I'm hitting stop. All right. Well, that was wonderful, guys. Thanks.